0: Any church camp folks out there? When I think about church camp, I think about those songs that are so deeply embedded in my being and my favorite ones were the ones with the clap. So if you know them, you can join me. He, 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 he is alive. Yes. And then this one right on the heels of the choir singing, I am the resurrection, I am the life. He who believes in me will never die. Oh, I mean, just. As we were preparing for worship, I was like, I have to begin with that song because it will be too cheesy for all of us to sing. Well, you just did. (laughs) Tricked you. It's interesting. Both of those songs, the clapping songs that I remember, have to do with this greatest of all time, this most pivotal the event in history that separates our faith in Christ from all other religions, and that is the resurrection of Jesus. And so much of my life, and I think our lives, we have focused on what that means for after we die. And I don't think that's what Jesus meant when He said, I am the resurrection and I am the life. My freshman year, the day before classes started, it was Sunday night, I was in my dorm, and then all of a sudden I heard a knock on the door, and a man stood there, still acquainted with me to this day, and he said, hello, my name is Dennis Kennedy. I said, hello, and he said, if you die tonight, where will you spend eternity? Do you know where you will spend eternity? Well, I did. I grew up in the church. I had an active relationship with Jesus and I said, yes. And what I wanted, what are you going to do for my college life right now? Are you coming to like invite me to do something? The, the young people of today would tell you that if you use that on them, they want to know, what does Jesus do for me now? I'm not thinking about where I'm going to spend eternity. I'm trying to make it through today. I think it, we have become really good at focusing on what we'll save people from, as opposed to what we can save people for. What Jesus saves us for. And looking at the resurrection as an opportunity to live life now, more abundantly. Have any of y'all been over to Commons Ford Park recently? They have just done a controlled burn of their prairie. And if you were to walk along there, all you would see is nothing. They kept the trees. They didn't burn the trees, but it's just this huge field of black ash. They did it on purpose because they know that out of that death to those grasses, it is going to bring so much new life, new possibility, new flora, new fauna, new birds. And for the birders in here, they are so pumped. What I want us to do today is we look at this passage from John where Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, I want us to think about what does it mean? What is he saying to Martha? What is Jesus saying to all of us for what does it mean for our lives today? So before we hear that scripture, will you join me in prayer? Gracious and loving God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the aliveness of your spirit in this place, for the giftedness of musicians, drummer, and trumpet, choir, and piano, and voice, and organ. We thank you that in all of this, you are glorified, God. And so I pray in the name of Jesus that the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts, that they would just be about you, God. That all of myself would fall by the wayside, and that we would be before an audience of one, and that you would be pleased, oh God in Christ's name. Amen. Before we read our scripture, I want to tell you what's happened just right before it. Jesus and his disciples are outside of Jerusalem because he had been getting into trouble in Jerusalem with the leaders by saying outrageous things like, you know, I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. And they kept trying to stone him and to hurt him. And so he has removed himself, he and his disciples, and he finds out, he gets word that one of his friends, Lazarus, is about to die. And he chooses not to go right away, to go see him. He chooses. And so our text picks up that it is now the fourth day, and he is arriving to go see his friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Hear the word of our Lord. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and she met him while Mary stayed at home. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this?" She said to him, "'Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world.'" This is the word of the Lord. What we know from other parts of the Gospel of John up to this point is that Jesus does have a unique relationship with these three people. They are the only people in the Gospel of John that are overtly named as his friends that he loves. They love him too, but they, it's just more of a friendly love, but the love that he has is agape love, is unconditional love that he has for these three friends. And what we know through the course of the Gospel of John is that love is always paired with death. Think about John three sixteen, the most famous verse in the history of the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So his love had to be through Christ's death. And then you go down into John 15, and Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, that they lay down their life for their friends. So it is no surprise that in this immense love relationship that Jesus had with the three women, that somehow death would be present. We know that he has arrived on the fourth day in Jewish thought was the soul of a person who had died, it would hover around the body just in case it was going to be resuscitated, maybe with the right prayer or the right sacrifice or the right waving of hands. And Jesus has not come until the fourth day. And so we can say, Lazarus was dead, dead. Like, he done stinketh. He is dead, dead up in that tomb. So for all of the people that had been there mourning, Jesus missed it. Jesus missed the end. That sacred, holy, thin space where someone approaches death. And then hope is gone. It's down the road. It's out of touch. And that's when Jesus shows up. Martha approaches Jesus. And when she comes before Jesus, in the words that she says, it is very apparent that she is only approaching him with what she has lost. What has been taken away? Oh, Jesus, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. And guess how Jesus responds to her scarcity mindset. He chastises her. No. Jesus keeps the conversation going. He accepts her right where she is in her grief and her dismay, And he then reminds her of a truth. Jesus responds to Martha with what can only be found in him, living hope. Martha's view is very linear. Birth, life, death, that's it. And Jesus is is giving us this new awareness that it is birth, life, death, life, death, life, death, life. So when Jesus looks out at a field and it is covered in ash, Jesus sees new possibility. And in our lives, those things, maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's a gift that we have, maybe it's a dream that we once had, where we see only death, Jesus says, I am the resurrection, I am the life. It is for now. The church of Jesus Christ needs to stand up and say, we believe that this Jesus thing, it matters for our lives now. I am so grateful, praise God, that we get to live for eternity with Jesus. But our world needs to know that Jesus is going and is and relevant for their life now. Some of you know that one of my heroes is my maternal grandmother. She was this amazing, remarkable woman for so — I can't even — I could talk in hours and hours about her. When she was a child, she had rheumatic fever and polio. And if she had been born just a few years later, she would have had penicillin and would have had no repercussions. But it weakened her heart. So in her early 20s, she gets married and she begins to have children. And she develops what's called mitral stenosis. And the only way, you know how you get plaque on your teeth? Imagine that, but in her heart. It just wasn't working right. Her output wasn't good. Her blood pressure would get high. And after every birth, and then she had two miscarriages. And after all this, her heart was just failing. And so by the age of 45, about 20 years later, She now has six children and had had eight pregnancies. Her oldest is 22, and her youngest is 13. And the doctor tells her, Mary Bratton, you are in congestive heart failure. You have five years. That's it. But there's this brand new technology, and we can try it out on you. (laughs) It's called The Star Edwards valve. It had just been developed. I mean, people were just beginning the surgery. There was two places they would do it. They lived in Tennessee, so they had the choice of Birmingham or Houston, and Birmingham was closer. So she left, and she got there in the summer of her 45th year of life, and they replaced her mitral valve. And in a sense, it worked. She woke up. But then what happened is that the output of her heart, it, it, it didn't work because her heart, one of her atrium had just become too large. And, and so her body did what it needed to do to save her life and to save, importantly, to save her heart and her brain. And it centralized all of the blood right here at the expense of her extremities. And so she became a triple amputee. They had to take both of her legs right below the knee and her left arm above the elbow. She went in to have a heart valve replaced at 45 and came out a triple amputee. I called my aunt, Risa, the oldest. I wanted her to remind me what was it like, because y'all have to realize I never knew her as anything but this complete rock star of a woman who most people wouldn't even have known were a triple amputee. Nothing's kept her back. And so I said, tell me what it was like when she came home. She didn't come home to almost after Thanksgiving. And she'd been there, she got there in the summer. And Teresa says that all the kids are sitting in the living room, and, and my grandfather had gone to work. He was a doctor, and he was doing his rounds during Thanksgiving. And they're all — and she said, like, one of the kids was, like, pacing and just anxious because mom is home, but mom's now in a wheelchair. Mom is in a wheelchair, and she can't walk. And when she does, she, she has these prosthetic legs, but she can't use them. And so she crawls. And so the bathroom the, — the bath had to be cut in half so she could crawl into the bath. And all of the doorways, they, they had to take off all of the, the trim so that the wheelchair would fit through. There was no more cooking or cleaning or or, or getting kids ready. She's a different mom. And so they're sitting there. This is the first time in six months that the whole family has been there. One kid's pacing. One kid's hovering just like, do I need to care for her? Does she need anything? And and, and most are just, they're just waiting. And grandmother, she said at some point she looked up at her kids and she said, well, it is apparent that none of you are going to do anything. And so I guess I better. And for the first time, she stood up. She stood up on those prosthetic legs, y'all, that would give her the worst bone source you have ever imagined. And she began to live life. She was resurrected. She made a choice. It was awful what had happened to her. And I imagine for many of you, you have had things get amputated you didn't want. You went into a certain time of life thinking it's gonna be like this, and it ended up not being that way. You expected your body to do certain things and it no longer does that. You see, Christ looks at that like a fallow field and says, oh my gosh, I can resurrect anything in your life. You can have abundant Easter morning life Every day. Church, this is what our world needs for us to do, is to live into the abundant life in Christ. We have been given, I'm not trying to downplay it, we have been given the most amazing gift and the promise of life forever with Jesus. But we also have been given the amazing life with Jesus now. So what in our lives needs the resurrecting power of Jesus? Mita Stamper, who is a English, an English professor, she says this, Nothing is ever so dead in our lives that it keeps Jesus from being life. And that life is not only a future hope, abundant life, is always, ever, now. Always, ever, now. It's outlandish. It's actually ridiculous for us to think that this is possible. A total reframing of what it means that like, wait, you see death and you find transformation? You see defeat and there's wonder? You get your legs amputated and then there's newness? Jesus says, I am the resurrection, I am the life now for you. So are we gonna get up out of that wheelchair? May it be so in my life and in yours.